Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So we're going to, uh, yeah, we're going to jump into the Word. We've been talking about, uh, if you haven't been here recently or this is your first time here, we have been teaching on the house of prayer. This is actually, uh, we've been on this for really about five or six weeks, and I'm actually going to continue uh, teaching on this. Uh, we'll, we're going to do today, and then next week is Love Day. Uh, let me, uh, yeah, let me stop there for a moment. Love Day, I want to make sure this is clear. Love Day is an incredible outreach that we do. So next Sunday, we're gathering here, but not, it's not going to look like this. We're actually gathering for outreach. So if you want to be a part of it and to help us just be organized, please sign up at the welcome table if you have not, uh, because we're meeting here next week, but it's not going to be like this. And so, um, yeah, if you want to be a part of it, you know someone is not here, make sure you let them know. But the week after Love Day, um, unless God moves differently, we're going to spend another week on the house of prayer. I actually feel like today and that week that's coming up, that, that last week, uh, these, these two messages really go hand in hand. And, and to be honest, I feel like in all that we've spoken about, that what we're about to get into in these next two weeks on the house of prayer is most important. Not, not, because it, not because it's more important than what we've shared, but I think because of the timing and just what I feel like God is speaking for, for us and in this season, I just, I just sense like really the Lord on this. And maybe if we were to reteach this exact series word for word at another point, God may highlight another section of this, but I really feel the Lord on this. I feel a, I feel a pastoral burden to, to, again, stir your hearts, to jump into what is happening here, to be a part of it, to not miss out on it. I feel this, this, this like burden in my heart to, um, to just provoke you to join in. And I, I want to just share like the blessings, the fruit of what's happening here. I'll put that before you once again. But also I really want to dive into some of, the, um, some of the things that come against joining into the house of prayer. We're going to see it in the life of David. We'll see something very specific today. I was going to put this all together, but I feel like the Lord said just highlight this. So I don't even know how long we'll share, but just I want to highlight something specific Next time we gather, we're going to look at Psalm 132, which is David's vow. And we're going to look at the sacrifice that, that had to happen in his life for God to really have a resting place on earth. And uh, again, I think it will really help us just grow in this. But, but today I want, to, um, I want to put some things before you, uh, get you to join in to what's happening here. If, again, if you're new or missed the last few weeks, God has used this, this whole situation with corona where we've just kind of been on pause, it felt like, for a moment. Um, I actually see now God's hand in all of this, and really, he has so um, just kind of uh, been, been speaking clarity into our, our existence and what we do, and, and the major point has been that I believe we are called to be a house of prayer, and we've been on a journey of really figuring out and understanding what does that mean, because I think a lot of times you hear house of prayer, we have these thoughts of, of what that could be, and it's like, man, anything but a house of prayer, God, like, that's, that's just the most boring thing it could be. And we've been on a journey to realize that the house of prayer is actually a, a house that's centered on the presence of God. It's a house that is a house of fellowship and communion. And ultimately, I, I think that one of the greatest corporate expressions of a house of prayer is from David's tabernacle. In fact, Jesus, when he says it is written, he was saying that there's a revelation that they had access to. There was something already established uh, that they should have been operating in when he came into the temple and they were not. And I believe it deeply connects to what David set up, which was this, this tabernacle with the presence of God in the center. And there was worship and prayer around it 24-7. 
And so what we're doing right now is we started Friday nights, these prayer sets or beholding sets where we're literally coming before the presence of God in this building and we are just seeking his face. And I cannot tell you like how incredible it has been. How many of you were there Friday night? Like Friday night, I can't put into words, Lord is breathing on this. It was, it was incredible how God showed up. Uh, two hours like that. Like, I mean, just breakthrough. People wrote in testimonies of how God just moved in their lives. It was really, really incredible. And September 1st, we are launching three more prayer sets, beholding sets. So Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Friday morning, Friday night. The vision is we want to have this morning, noon, and night, Monday through Friday. I mean, we just come before the presence of God consistently. And we have shared already the impact that that's going to have on our lives, on this community, by simply coming before God's presence like that. All right? So I'm going to dive in a little bit more into this. Turn with me in your Bibles to First Chronicles Chapter 15, verse 25. And I encourage you that if you are able to in any way to turn there with me in your Bibles, on your phones, First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 25. I also want to give a huge shout out to uh, Brittany and Caesar who have done a fantastic job as uh, our whole worship team, but they're our worship leaders and they have really pioneered this. Honestly, what's really happening is more of they're really leading the way on this. I'm just joining in, and, and so I'm so thankful for them and the rest of the worship team, and I just know God's going to call out more people to be a part of the worship, and we're going to see this thing just explode. So First Chronicles chapter 15, I'm going to get into this in a moment. I want to uh, quickly just lay out some things that will uh, sum up where we've been and put in a groundwork for us for where we're going over these next two weeks. Okay, so you guys ready to grow today? You ready to learn? It's really, this is so exciting what is happening in this body right now. So Jesus, when he comes into Jerusalem, our launching pad each and every week has been Matthew 21. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, known as his triumphal entry or the Passion Week, it's a week before Passover, he comes in, he's met with praise and worship, they're laying down palm branches, and then he goes right to the temple and when he goes to the temple, many of us are aware of this, this it's a well-known scene, even if you don't know the particulars, where he begins to drive out money changers and overturn tables of, of business. And really, he's, he's moving out the spirit of religion and business and all the things that the house has been centered on. And, uh, and he's bringing it back to being a house that's centered on him. And when he does that, he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And what really... Every time I jump into this, I feel like God speaks new things from this passage. That's just how the word works. It's incredible. And the last few weeks, the thing that's really hit me is the fact that Jesus, I want you to track this. This is going to help us where we're going. Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer. So he actually, he actually says that he quotes Isaiah 56, 7, but what he's saying is I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy. This house is actually my house. This house is God's house, meaning you are actually gathering in God's house, and I'm God, and this is my house. And this is important because what this means is that us gathering together, Christians gathering together, is actually not man's idea. It's not man's idea. Like, I didn't come up with this idea to, to do something, something like, like this, this where, hey, this, this would be a great, great idea to get believers gathering together, together corporately. This, this is, is actually something, something the house, the church, the body Gathering corporately is something that is actually birthed from the heart of God. Now, God partners with us in that he, he co-labors with us. He allows creative expression to come forth where we get to have our own unique flavors of how, we are, how we're uh, 
operating the church and, and seeing the kingdom move. But at the end of the day, if you strip all these things down to like bare bones, people that have been touched by Jesus, washed by the blood, like new creations, a royal priesthood, the idea of them gathering together in some corporate way on a consistent basis is actually something that God created. And so as I began to, this is so important because as I began to track, uh, I went in the Old Testament and began to track the lineage of the tabernacles. Right, so you have Solomon's is the most recent, then you have the tabernacle of David, which is what we're going through. Before that, it was the tabernacle of Moses. And before that, you actually had the garden. And I shared with you a few weeks ago how the garden is actually imagery of a temple. I'm not going to get into all the, uh, the intricacies of that, but it's, it's incredible. A uh, Adam is actually a first priest. And the point is this, is that right from the beginning, like one of God's first moves is he creates a space and a place to meet with man. Right off the bat, in, in the temple, in the, in the garden, he creates this temple-like imagery to walk with man. So, so he, he, he sets out his agenda, and he says, in essence, right from the, from the garden, we see what a house of prayer looks like. It's, it's a house where we walk with God. In fact, when God creates Adam in the garden, one of the things that really hit me is that uh, Adam doesn't just walk into the garden. Adam doesn't say, hey, I would like to come in here and meet with God. It says that God placed Adam in the garden. Meaning, again, it reveals the will of God, the desire of God, like what's in his heart to have a place to walk with his creation. Are you following me? So in the tabernacle of Moses, David, I began to study this. And what you find is that both of these men, and I shared this at length with David, but both Moses and David, they don't just create a tabernacle based on, you know, they don't wake up one day and say, oh, let me do this. Both of these men had encounters with God. And they received a heavenly blueprint of what happens in heaven, and they released it on earth. Now, David's is what carries over into the new covenant. But at the end of the day, both of them are received from God. Moses was on Mount Sinai when God gave him this. And once again, what we see is that this gathering, like what we're doing today, is actually something that's birthed from the heart of God from the very beginning. Do you actually know that Moses' tabernacle as well as David, do you know what one of the names were? It was called the Tent of Meeting. The Tent of Meeting. So even though they were very different, and even though there were many details to it, you know what the primary purpose of these tents were? To meet with God. That is the essence of why we gather. We gather to be a meeting place where man and God can walk together as they did in the garden. And so this is actually like the primary purpose for why we're gathering here today. And what's on my heart is that we need to create a place and a space to give God the desire of his heart, right? We, 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 need to, we need to offer up to God what he's looking for. We need to come under God's definition of the house. If he says this is my house, then we say, okay, God, what are you looking for? And what we find out is that God is looking for a house of prayer. He's looking for a house of intimacy. He's looking for a meeting place. How strange would it be if I walked into your house, you're the owner of the house, how strange would it be if we walked into your house and we paid no attention to you as the owner? Or we paid little regard for the expectation that you had for your house. But so often we create these spaces and places for people to gather and we offer up everything and focus on everything else but what the owner wants. <laughs> we do not actually come under his definition and say, God, we're here to give you your desire. And this house of prayer, like what we're tapping into, and David, the spirit of David's tabernacle, it's not a literal restoration of Amos, but, but it's, the, it's the idea of worship, prayer, around the presence. I feel like what we're doing is we're not starting a new church strategy. 
We're not, we're not, we're not like, hey, this is a good idea for, for church growth. What we're doing, I feel like, is actually coming back into what it was always meant to be. I actually feel like we're actually coming back to offer up to God what has always been his desire. This is so, so important. Like, this is his definition. This is what he says. This is your primary purpose for gathering. When, when Pastor Chris and I felt a call to come out here to start a church, we had absolutely zero idea what to do. We still do in many ways. <laughs> we, that's why we really need the Lord. No, but when we came out here, we didn't really know which direction to go, and, uh, and we just knew God had called us. And I'm so thankful for the resources and the doors that God opened up for us to be able to uh, learn some really important things. And it taught us about the importance of building a healthy community internally, the importance of focusing on the external community and how you meet with them and missions and evangelism and all of this stuff. But when I look back, not one of these resources really began to tap into what this house is supposed to be. Like not one of them actually said, here's your primary purpose for starting a church. It's to create a space for people to meet with God, to encounter God. It's to create a meeting place with God. And if you do that, every other ministry will start falling into place. If you actually focus on this, every other thing that you do will have life. You'll actually spend less time in the labor, and the more things you do, they'll have more fruit and more effectiveness because God is breathing on what you are doing. And so, man, if I could go back, like, I would, I would so change things, but the Lord is faithful, and, and man, he's just taking us on this journey to understand this, and that's, that's what we're getting into right here. And this is, this is what I think is so important for where we're going these next two weeks is that I want, I want everyone to hear this. If the church is going to see a restoration of God's presence, like, if we're going to see a house of prayer really emerge and really see a meeting place with God, I mean God encounters, it is going to require a unified pursuit in this. It is going to require everyone that gathers here to say, we are on board and we are, we are bought in to this being the reason that we meet. So critical that it has to be something that happens on a corporate level. And, and this, is why, this is why we're gonna be getting into the necessity of all of us saying, we're in this, we're in this together. When David, 1 Chronicles 13, I shared in the opening week, when David first gathered the Israelites together of about 30,000 people, do you remember David's first move we shared as, as commander-in-chief, as king? Saul left the ark in a barn. Saul led without the presence of God. And David said, my first move is not to focus on military, economy, none of that. He says, we're going to go get the ark, and we're going to bring it back into Jerusalem. We're going to put God back at the center. But what he said is so crucial. He said, we had forsaken it. And he said, we're going to go get it. We. David knew that is, even though God was placing a vision in his heart, if everyone wasn't on board, it wasn't going to work. So their primary purpose in that opening gathering of about 30,000 people was they corporately gathered for the ark. They corporately gathered for the presence. That was why they met. All throughout the, the scriptures, Psalm 55 is one that came to my mind this week. Psalm 55, God speaks and he says, gather together my saints. That's what we're doing here. Saints are gathering. You know why? He says, gather together my saints unto me. Unto me. He says, bring the saints together for this purpose, to meet with me. Matthew 18, 20. One of these really well-known scriptures that we quote, it says, where two or more are gathered, where, what? In my name, I am in their midst. Now, I felt God was really speaking to me about this because what this means is there's a unity on why we're gathering. And I feel that that's, that scripture, oftentimes when I think about it, 
I always equate it to at some point, if I have encountered Jesus and surrendered my life to Jesus, well, yes, technically I'm in Christ, and if we're gathering with other people who have had a past encounter, we're, we're gathering in his name. I get that. That's on a foundational level, but I feel like there is another step of maturity in this, which means that we're not just gathering together because at one point we met Jesus and he really did change us. It's, what it means is that we're gathering today in his name, meaning unto him. It's why we're here. Like we're saying our reason is to meet and encounter God. And when we do that, God says, I will be in the midst there. He says, I will manifest in, my, in that place. Meaning he's in our midst. If all we do is come here as born again believers, but focus on all these other things, it's true. He's in our midst. Positionally, he's in us. He's in our midst. But there is something so much greater. And the more that we tap into this on, on, a, on a corporate level, I believe the more we're going to see Jesus just like show up in incredible ways. You know what Psalm 133 says? It says that how how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's the place of blessing. Now, just because we're gathering here together in the same place, in the same yard, does that mean that we're unified? No, 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 no. We're unified when we start all coming into agreement with why we're here. We're gathering in his name, unto him, for him, to meet with him. The moment we do that, the moment we do that, God says, I'm going to bless this place. What's the blessing? It's him. He shows up in ways that we've never seen before. But, but the misunderstanding could be that simply because we're here, that we're all here for the same reason. And I just want to so stir your heart to say, man, let's, let's as a body, like let's give ourselves over to this thing and let's trust that God is faithful to his word. Because when he shows up, we have all that we need. I just think it's that simple. That when Jesus shows up, everything that we've been striving for, fighting for, it just starts falling into place. People that, that I've tried ministering to and just couldn't like break through, like he just does it in a moment. You know that Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 48, the very last verse of Ezekiel, it's one of my favorite verses. It's about a, a future city to come and the fulfillment of it is a whole other story. But I think there's a principle that carries over to us even today where it says that the name of this city, you know what the name of the city will be? The Lord is there. The Lord is there. It so reveals, I believe, God's desire for this to be the defining mark of his house. God is seeking after bodies who are committed to this one thing so that when people come there, this is what we're known by. We're not known by gifting. We're not known by personality. They don't come here because of a pastor. They don't come here because of a worship team. I mean, let's just be honest. They don't even know where we meet. (laughs) Are they at the property owner's? Are they in a, uh, you know, in, a, in a parking lot? Do they meet in a small building? I don't know, but here's what I know is that when these people gather together, the Lord is there. Like when they meet, there's, a, there's like Jesus of Nazareth is in their midst. And that's all that I know. And this, man, this is all that we need is when he shows up like this. And so when we come into this together, man, Jesus begins to show up. And everything our heart is searching after, we find it in him. Man, this past Friday when we were in, uh, in the beholding set, the prayer set, we, we, uh, Brittany was led by the Lord to sing a song. I say a song, it was a word. <laughs> amen. We started singing amen, and those were there. I mean, it's incredible how God moved through this song just by us singing amen. And in the midst of it, we went into 2 Corinthians 1.20, because that's what the Lord was, had led me, where it basically says that every promise of God is yes in Christ. Meaning everything that we need, everything we're looking for is found in Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it. And then it says this, as a response, the body says amen. So when we say amen, 
we were actually responding to the sufficiency of Jesus to fulfill and satisfy everything that we're looking for. And I feel like, man, he is the yes of every promise. Why would we want anything other than to gather around him? We'd rob people. Like, we, what we need is the Lord is there. We need the yes of every promise to be in our midst. And that amen that we were singing, I felt like Saturday morning, I couldn't shake it. I was just keep, kept thinking about it. And I feel like the Lord was speaking to me that that amen, it, it, it has a lifestyle that follows it. Meaning it's a single word, but it actually, it actually places a, there's a demand on an expression that comes with that amen. If I believe that everything I need is in Christ, there's a lifestyle that's going to come because of that belief. Now, you can apply that individually, but I believe corporately there's got to be an expression. If we say all that we need is in Christ, that should look like something corporately when we gather. And I feel that what we're doing in these prayer sets is we are, we are giving an expression to our amen. We are saying you are everything that we need, and therefore we prioritize coming around you. Like this is our amen, not just with our lips, but with our life. So listen, this is the journey that we've been on, to be a place, a house of prayer, to be a place where the Lord is there. And again, I can't stress this enough, I feel a pastoral burden for us to dive into this corporately. I want you to be a part of it because we need unity in this. And the more that we are in this together, the more we're going to see all the things that God has promised to us. All right? So I'm going to just, I'm just sharing one real major point from this scripture, and that's, that's really it. Uh, next, next week, or when we speak on the word uh, in two weeks, uh, Psalm 132 will give additional language to this. Uh, but I want to start here. I, I couldn't shake this, so I, wanna, I want you guys to see this. So First Chronicles chapter 15, verses 25 to 29. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this, this is where David... This is where David begins to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And the very next chapter is where he's going to place the ark in the tabernacle, in the tent of Mount Zion. And David's tabernacle is going to be set and established from this place. But I want you to see what happens when the ark is coming in. This is, man, this, this is, I felt a lot of life on this. So here comes the ark into Jerusalem. This story also parallels 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you want to go deeper this week. And it says this. So David... And the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. So you remember I shared a few weeks ago of how Ohio and Uzzah tried to bring the ark in on a cart and Uzzah actually died. It went into Obed-Edom's house for three months. It's here probably where David had insight on what to do and how to actually bring the ark in and establish the tabernacle. So now it's leaving Obed-Edom's house to finally come into Jerusalem. And it says, verse 26, and because God helped the Levites, the priests, the ones who carry the ark on their shoulders, who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. So here we begin to see this celebratory scene. I mean, there are multiple sacrifices happening as the ark, the presence comes into Jerusalem. And verse 27 says, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and the singers and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. So David, David exchanges his kingly garments for priestly garments. Remember I shared this in the opening week. This is very revelatory of new covenant identity. He's both a king and a priest. And he's really saying there's only one king and we all have access to him. 
And then he says this. I want you to see verse 28. We're going to camp here for a moment. He says, so all Israel. I want you to say all. All Israel. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. So I want you to picture this scene. This is incredible. The ark that has been put on the side for 70 years under the leadership of Saul is finally coming back into Jerusalem and is going to be placed in this tabernacle and be at the center of Israel. That's why David's kingdom flourished like no other. This became the standard for every other king. And when this ark, this presence is coming back into Jerusalem, it is met with extravagant worship. It is met with a wholehearted response. Listen to what this says. There is sacrifices, there is shouting, there is loud music being played, there's horns, cymbals. It actually says in 2 Samuel that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now what would that look like for a grown man to dance before the Lord with all of his might? When I read this, I merely thought of Elijah who will come forward at times and dance, right? And we think like, oh, what's going on? This is strange. No, 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 this is biblical. This is what happens when God's presence, and I want you to see because this is so connected to what's happening and us enjoying the presence of the Lord again. So, so there's all of this celebration. They're dancing before the Lord. There's sacrifices. They're singing as the presence is coming in. It's being carried on the shoulders of the Levites. And in the very next chapter, it says David takes the ark, puts it on Mount Zion, and, and from there, his tabernacle is set up. And the point is this, is that everything that happened in Jerusalem, that celebratory, almost uh, uh, hilarious response to the Lord of joy and singing and dancing, it carries over into the tabernacle. And it continues for 33 years. Read the Psalms that were birthed from the tabernacle. There is singing, dancing, shouts of joy. Like it doesn't stop because God is back in their midst. And the reason why I'm sharing this is I believe that David's tabernacle is one of the most beautiful corporate expressions of enjoying the gospel. Like the gospel is about God being restored back into our lives. Hey, it, no matter how you look at it, there are so many uh, beautiful realities of what the gospel means that we have a new legal position, we're justified, we're righteous, we're a new creation. But all of those things are pointing to one final end result, which is that you get to have union with God again. What you lost in the garden has been restored to you. Do you know that the Gentiles, the way that their faith was authenticated in the book of Acts? Because they question, are Gentiles really, is this sincere? I thought it was just for the Jews. Is this, are they really being brought in? And at the Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas, do you know what their, you know what their uh, testimony was? It says, this is genuine what they're experiencing. Why? Because they have received the Holy Spirit. Like the, the final mark of seeing if the, if the gospel was really applied to their life was, did they receive the presence of God? And they had received the presence of God. And when we gather around the presence of God, what we're doing on this Friday night, what we're doing now Tuesdays and Fridays and eventually all day every day is I feel that this is a corporate expression of enjoying what God has done in our lives. The fact that he is back in our midst. Man, I feel like we just, we can miss this sometimes. We so over-theologize the gospel. 
You say, what do I mean? We need to know what he's done, why he's done it, what it's about. But I feel like we reduce the gospel to this mechanical formula that we memorize and just try to take someone on the Roman roads and we miss the weightiness of what's actually happening. That I was dead in my sin. I was lost and gone, but the presence of God has been restored back to me. The one that my heart was made for, he lives in me now. And so therefore, we come before it and we celebrate like what we're doing, I mean, our space is limited, but I can't wait till we can have people just creative expressions of, of, of worship. But what we're doing is we are celebrating the fact that God is with us again. We're celebrating that God, is, that God is in our midst, that God lives in us. We're celebrating the reality that, man, I was once lost. And I feel what can happen is we miss this and it, the gospel becomes this cold transaction. Well, God did this, so you do that. God did this, so you do that. And God becomes a thing or an object or a principle. He's not reachable. But the tabernacle of David just smashes all that, and it's in the old covenant, so how much more for us? And it reveals that, man, no, we have access to God. We get to enjoy, felt like Friday night, I enjoyed communing with my God. Like, that's what we were doing. And everyone, the scripture says, all of Israel was called to be a part of this. That's so important. All of Israel was called to experience the beauty of, being, of having God back with them. They were all called to join into what was happening. I mean, think about this. David saw firsthand the destruction of what happened to Israel when God was not in the midst. He saw, under the leadership of Saul, the depravity that hit Israel. He saw the darkness. He saw the lostness. He saw the rebellion. He saw all of this. So you have to understand this. When David sees the ark coming back into Jerusalem, the reason why he's dancing and celebrating is because he says, do you know what this means? Darkness can't stay here anymore. Hopelessness has to go now. Like defeat has to go now because God is back with us. And if David, if David could celebrate this, if David could do this when what he had was an ark coming back into a city and into a physical temple, how much more can we celebrate in the new covenant now that the ark has come to live inside of us? Like that's what we're tapping into is we're getting people as men celebrate like God with us, Emmanuel. He's with us. Like the only thing strange is to give a half-hearted response. The only thing strange is to come in here and say, wow, yeah, God lives in me. That's amazing. I was so lost and broken. I almost lost my family, but yeah, he's made things right. Thank you, God. And just walk away. Like, and I'm going to share that we miss out when we don't tap into this. That's the point is that there's so much more. There's so much more. So much more. And that's, I just feel that David's tabernacle is such a beautiful expression of enjoying God, enjoying the true end result of the gospel. Man, can you, can you imagine, how could we, how could we respond less than David and the Israelites when we have access to something greater? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine us going back to the scene of the ark coming into Jerusalem? David's dancing before the Lord. There's singing. There's worshiping. There's praise. And can you imagine me coming up to David and saying, David, you see that ark right there? That lives inside me now. David, what do you mean? That's impossible. No one can even look upon the ark. No, that ark lives in me now. The blood of the lamb has made a way for it to come into me. How can we not celebrate the Lord? How can we not break out flags and dancers and singers and say, thank you, God, like you're back in our midst. You're back in me, Emmanuel, God, with us. 
So yes, our primary activity in this house is to come before the presence of God and enjoy him and celebrate him and worship him because I was lost and now I'm found. Like this is what's happening and this is, the, this is what's taking place in this story. But verse 29 is really what I want to share <laughs> because verse 29 is the key for what I feel like one of the hindrances. Who was called to join in on this? All of Israel. Every person here is being invited into what God is doing. God is doing something really incredible right now in this body. And everyone's being called to join into it. But in verse 29, in the midst of all this joy and gladness, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal another side of the story. And I want you to hear this. In verse 29, it says this. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal. Michal is the wife of David. Michal, the daughter of Saul as well, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating. And what did she do? And she despised him in her heart. Michal, his wife, despised David. When, when she saw David responding to God's presence, she didn't join in. She actually despised him in her heart. Do you know in 2 Samuel, I encourage you to read this, chapter 6, it gives a fuller conversation. After the celebration, David goes back to actually bless her and the home. And she begins to rip him apart and say, what a fool you are. You're a king. You shouldn't be acting like this. And David, I love it because David's it's one of my favorite responses. He says, listen, I will become only more undignified before God. He says, I, I really don't care how you see me. God is back with us. And I'm going to celebrate God. He actually says, I will become even more abased before you. Meaning, I will be even more undignified before you as well. Now check this out, Michal, I think this is so revelatory for the new covenant. Michal is the daughter of Saul, which means she's a daughter of the king. She's married to David, which means she's a bride to the bridegroom king, or the bride of Christ. And do you know that when she was uh, getting ready to marry David, Saul, her father, said, David, if you want to marry my daughter, which he hated him. Thankfully, my father-in-law never did this to me. <laughs> he tried to set David up, and he says, you need to kill 100 Philistines and, and circumcise them. And bring back their foreskin. But here's the point is that Michal was bought by blood. She was bought by blood. She, she, she was bought by blood. She's a bride to the king. And she's a daughter of a king. If there was anyone who should have been joining into the celebration and partaking into what God was doing, it was her. Like if anyone should have been joining in and saying God is back in our midst, it was her. But instead of joining in... Michal was found looking on the wrong side of the window, looking down with critical eyes and judging what was taking place. God was inviting her to participate and experience the beauty of having God back at the center of all things. But instead of joining in, she, she criticized and assessed everyone that was doing it. And I, man, I really felt the Lord's heart. I don't know if it's like, I've been in Michal before. Like, I feel like it's easy to fluctuate in this. I've, I've experienced this. I feel like we all have at times when God begins to move. Um, and I just want to, like, lay this before us to guard our hearts, to guard our hearts and to not fall into this trap. Think about it. Think about it. One of the greatest moves of God, perhaps outside of uh, Pentecost in the scriptures. I mean, we said David set a standard for every other king. Mikhail had access to it, and she missed it. She missed it. She missed it because her heart was so hardened by what was taking place. She should have been offering up her heart. She should have been joining in and ministering to the Lord with her dance, with her song. 
but she wasn't. Instead, she was, she was criticizing those that were doing that. And when I was thinking about this and reading this, I realized all Mikhail could do was focus on the flesh. <laughs> right? We love to use that word. They're in the flesh. Maybe some people were. I don't know. But all I know is God was enjoying what was taking place in the midst of all of that. Because God said this will be a standard for everything else. And while she was judging and saying that's in the flesh, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, what she missed was the ark. What she missed was that God's presence was right there moving so strongly. And because she focused on people and not God, she missed what was happening before her eyes. And I don't want anyone to miss what's taking place in this body. I don't want it. I really, I feel in my heart, like I don't want to miss it. I got to guard my heart and I don't want anyone else to miss it. I want you to join in and enjoy the gospel of what is taking place here. And do you know what it says? This is so important. You know what it says in 2 Samuel 6, the same story. You know how it ends in verse 23 of Michal? It says, and she was barren the rest of her life. Now that's a literal sense, she was barren, but I believe there's a spiritual application that, that, this, that the critical spirit, the critical spirit produces a spiritual barrenness. It produces this hardness of heart. Like when we start getting to that place where we start judging and saying, man, look at this person. Like look how they're responding. Look how they're loving on the Lord and look what they're doing. And man, that's not right. This isn't right. When we start doing that, Man, we start getting, our hearts get hardened. And we actually become dried up, spiritually barren. And again, listen to me. This is, I don't believe this is God saying, Mikhail, now, I'm gonna, now, now you're going to be barren because of this. I actually believe the application for us is this is the natural consequence when we do not join into this. Is that we just naturally dry up when we don't actually experience like the gospel and what God is doing. And we stay on the outside of it. Man, I was reading through this. I, I'm not going to even take you to Scripture, but if you go further into the story, you know what it says when Michal and David first met? That Michal loved David. It so hit me. She loved David, which means she started off in a place of loving David. But what happened? When the presence of God came in and David began to respond to the presence of God, David's response began to confront her unwillingness to respond. And so instead of humbling her heart, and saying, man, I may not fully understand this, but I'm going to join into what you're doing. She got critical to justify why she was on the outside and where she was. And she missed this. She missed what the Lord was doing in her hour. And again, like, I speak from this like I've been a Mikhail. I probably will struggle with this later on at some other point in my life. Like I've been there where God was moving so mightily in places I was. And because I didn't fully understand it, I got offended by it. I thought it was focusing on the wrong thing or this and that. And you know what happened is I left spiritually dried up. Like there was something there for me and I missed it because I, I thought that I had arrived and I knew better. And again, I, I just, man, I just, I, I don't know why the Lord highlighted this whole scripture, but I just want us to join into this and, uh, and guard our hearts and be like David's. And experience the fruit of the gospel. Experience enjoying him. I wonder, I wonder how many today, I'm not saying in this body, but I wonder how many Michaels operate in the church of God, in the house of God, that, that God is moving, people are offering up. I really feel this is happening. Like God is moving on hearts where they're becoming houses of prayer. And I wonder how many have been bought by the blood, born again like a child of the king, a bride to the bridegroom king, and they're being invited in, but instead they stay on the outside and, 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 and judge what's happening rather than joining into what the Lord is doing. I wonder if I was in this scene, just to be honest, I wonder if I was in the scene with Mikhail, if I would tap her on the shoulder and say, look at this, this is so out of order. <laughs> look at the dancing. <laughs> look at the singing. Look at the clapping. Look at David, the king, in front of everyone he's dancing. This is an out of order service. <laughs> 
I wonder if I would say that, to be honest. Say, man, Lord, would I be found on the wrong side of the window, Lord? Or would I be saying, man, this is the only rightful response to who you are and to what you are doing? And I believe God is jealous to flip the tables of our hearts. <laughs> he flipped the tables in, in the temple. And you know why he did that? It's for the sake of intimacy. Because he is jealous for you to experience what's happening. And I felt a godly jealousy for every person in this body. Now that we have four different sets going on, like, I, and there's going to be more, but I'm hoping that it's one of those times works and get involved. Like, join into what the Lord is, is doing here. I don't want you to miss that. You guys follow me? So listen, um, I started thinking about this. David, this is one of the greatest moves of God. And there was an opportunity to respond or take offense. And I was actually speaking, I forget who it was. Oh, Joe, I think it was with Joe Johnson. We were speaking about the thieves on the cross before service. And he, he didn't even know this, but he was sharing about it. And he said, yeah, you know, one responded and one mocked. <laughs> one mocked what was happening. And then I began to think about Pentecost, right? Pentecost. I mean, think about the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lives being changed. We've never seen a move like this before. And you had people, I mean, this move from the Old to the New Covenant, it was actually an historical event that took place on earth, which means there were people that got to experience the transition into the New Covenant and the Spirit of God coming to live in man. They were there to participate. They could have joined in, and some responded with faith, but you know what others did? They mocked them. They mocked them and said they're drunk on wine. And they left the greatest move of God. Now, I'm not saying that this is something like that, but I know that God is moving, <laughs> I know that God has, and what I realize is that every move of God has a measure of offense built into it. It, all of them do. It just like really hit me, and I said, wow, every time God moves mightily, there's a measure of it where you can either take offense or you can actually humble ourselves and join into what he's doing. Why? Well, probably because God is so much bigger than, than what we realize. So even though we do our best to write out our our doctrinal statements, which are so good and so important, at the end of the day, he's an infinite God. And there are just some times where he moves beyond our 16 foundational truths. He just does. And we say, wait a minute, this doesn't line up with what I know. And because I don't understand this, this must not be God. That's a dangerous place to be in. Sometimes when God begins to move, it's because we don't understand it. Or it places a demand on our life. This is where we're going next week or the week after of Psalm 132. David sacrificed personal comforts in his life to make a resting place for God. And what I find sometimes that when God is moving, what happens is it begins to confront that we've been living for a lot of other things other than just him. And that demand begins to confront us, and we can be offended by that. Sometimes just the simplicity of Jesus can offend us. What do you mean? There's got to be more than this, or we got to do this. you got to tell people this. And you start leading people to Jesus, and that can be offensive. And I want us to go to our hearts. All right, so last, last scripture. Turn with me to Luke 7 really quick, and we'll close here. I want you to see this, and we'll close out here. Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 44 to 47. Luke chapter 7, verses 44 to 47. So let me, let me, let me explain this. It was about maybe two years ago we touched on this scripture and I'm just going to give you the highlights, and then I'm going to share the, the ending of this, of this chapter, of what happens here. But I believe this so parallels what we just shared, and it gives us another, another perspective of it. Luke chapter 7, the story that I'm about to, about to read with you at the very end. 
It's a story of Jesus being invited into a into a, a, um, a man's home. His name is Simon the Pharisee. He's, a, he's a, a well-known religious leader of the day. And he invites Jesus in to partake in a meal with him. He invites him to have a dinner party, essentially. And there are a number of people that are in this home, and Jesus agrees to come into his house. And so they begin to sit around the table, it says, and Jesus reclines at the table and begins to participate with them in this dinner party that they're throwing for him. And all seems to be going really well. It's pretty typical for this culture of what they were doing. The problem is, is that Jesus isn't just a typical guest. And so they were really engaging with Jesus on a very casual level. And what happens is, is that there's another person, another character who enters the scene. And she was known as a sinful woman. Why? There's speculation as to what she did. But either way, she had a reputation for living out of alignment with God's ways. Let's just put it that way. And she, she finds out that Jesus is in this house. And so she leaves to come into this house. And when she finds out that Jesus is in this house and she comes into the house, it says she looks just for Jesus. I think like this is such a beautiful picture of what's happening in the church and in our body. She says, I'm coming into this house and I'm here for one reason. I'm here to meet with Jesus. And she goes out of her way to find Jesus. And when she comes to Jesus, it says that she falls on her knees before Jesus. Now picture this scene. They're all just having a dinner party. I mean, they've got a schedule set up, and they're just going according to plans. And then this woman comes into the midst of this dinner party, falls on her knees, and says she breaks an alabaster jar of oil, very expensive, and begins to anoint his feet. It then says she begins to kiss his feet, unceasingly kissing his feet. Now imagine this. These guys are sitting around the table saying, what in the world is going on? And then she begins to cry. She, well, she was crying intensely. So intensely, it says that she washes his feet with her tears and that actually she lets down her hair and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, that's important because in this culture, to lay down your hair in public, to let it down as a woman, was a, was a shameful thing. She's doing exactly what David was doing, saying, I'll become even more undignified. I do not care what other people think of me. So here's this scene, dinner party, all these guys are engaging the Lord. She comes in, starts responding to the presence of God in such a powerful way, and she blows up this whole party. She, she just destroys this gathering, saying, we had something really good. I mean, we were just going right along with the plans. Dinner was finishing, dessert was coming next, and, and, and now you come in and you give her this type of response. And here's the thing is that Simon, Simon, here's what Simon, you know what Simon does? Simon gets critical of her. Simon begins to judge her. He not only gets offended at her, do you know what Simon does? He gets offended at Jesus. He gets offended at Jesus, and he says, if Jesus is who he really says he is, if he was really a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And so her response to the presence of God, again, is confronting his unwillingness to respond the right way to him. Her response is actually confronting how casual she's, they are treating Jesus in their midst. And rather than humbling themselves, and rather than saying, man, maybe she knows something about who's with us that I don't. Instead, he actually criticizes the one that's offering up the right thing before him. So important. And so Jesus then, what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, I want to tell you something. And Simon goes, teacher, say it. And he gives this short parable about who is forgiven much, loves much. But then this is what he says at the end. I want you to see this. Starting in verse 44. He says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And verse 45 says, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
He says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. There's that idea. We love God corporately. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. We say, oh, I, I walk in the first commandment. This is what loving God looks like. <laughs> like th- th- there's, a t- there's a response that comes to really saying, I love the Lord. And it says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And here's the point I want to close with here. I think it so parallels what happened with Michael and David. Is that Jesus says, Simon, I came into your house. I came into your house. And you gave me nothing to drink, but she has not stopped crying over my feet. And she's wet my feet. You gave me no oil to anoint my head, but, but this woman has anointed my feet. You gave me not a kiss of greeting, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. In other words, Simon, I was so ready to meet with you this way. Simon, I was so ready to receive your kisses. I was so ready to receive your oil. I was so ready to receive your tears, but you did not offer them to me. I would have met you this way. I would have been able to say a same response about you, but you didn't offer that to me. And I believe like the saddest part is that Simon missed out because at the end of the day, like we all have, te- what is tears? Our pains, things that go on in our life, our kisses, our affections. Like as great as to have a wife that's still a taint, it's still a, there's still brokenness there. So like he's, he's perfect love. My, my oils, my resources, what he's saying is Simon, I would have received those things, but you didn't give them, therefore you still carry them. <laughs> therefore you still haven't found a place to give them. And in the end, it's like Simon leaves that house as the one missing out. Man, I want us to be a house of, of, of this woman. We don't even know, the sinful woman. She's, all she knows is that she's the sinful woman, but her response was proper. And I promise you this, you start coming around the, what's happening here, and you start offering up your affection to the Lord, you start offering up your tears to the Lord, you start offering up your oil before God, I promise you, like, he's going to respond back, and you will find everything that your heart's been looking for. All right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Does everyone have communion, a communion cup, those that want to participate? If you don't, if you raise your hand, I can have an usher come around. We're going to close by taking communion here today. So go ahead and you can break that out if you want. They're a little bit tricky. You can go ahead and open it up real quick. It takes a sec. Everyone's got one. You guys good? Do you want to give some keys or something? <laughs> so I've really felt bad to just close here. by coming before the table. There's a lot of other illustrations, I think, that tie into what happened with David and Mikhail. Many of you know the story of Cain killing Abel. We hear it as a, a childhood story, but there's so, much, there's so much weightiness to that story of what's happening. 
There's a lot of speculation as to why did God reject Cain's offering and receive Abel's? Was it because of what they gave? Was it a matter of the heart? You could probably make cases for different ones, but here's what I know is that whatever God was, was requesting, Cain had access to give that as well. And he did it. And, and Cain killed Abel. Like that critical thing got so bad that he murdered his brother because ultimately it says that when he saw Abel give the offering, he saw God re- respond with favor upon Abel's life. And the favor that he saw in Abel's life so disturbed him. And the sad thing is that he actually, he had access to give the same thing and receive the same thing. And we may not murder each other in that sense, but man, with our words, man, we could really tear each other apart. And the whole purpose of this is for us to be unified, to be unified in what we're going after and to give people like freedom to really pursue the Lord, worship the Lord, celebrate that he is not just with us in a building, but in our bodies. And so what I want to do is I just want to close by taking, uh, taking Holy Communion here together. And I want to, um, I just want to put this before you, that when we took, we did communion series earlier on in this year, we had mentioned about the importance of coming before the table rightly. And what that means is it's not about you getting yourself right, because that will never happen. When, when we come to this table rightly, it's about us coming in, in sincerity, in truth, and honesty, which means that, that there's stuff going on in our life. We don't hold that, but we come before him. And we say, Lord, like, man, I need, I need you to, like, deal with this. And the beautiful thing is that when we come in this honesty and we come in this transparency, like, he meets us. Grace meets us. It's a person. And you find, like, healing comes to our hearts, and that stuff that we're holding on to begins to break. And these wounds can actually minister to you. I mean, think about Jesus. If there's anyone, if there's anyone who understands what it's like to be on the wrong side of being mistreated, on the wrong side of a critical voice, it's Jesus. And yet he laid down his life for the very one who would betray him in this room. And so I really think there's something that can take place here. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. This body and this cup, it's it's the cost that allows us to enjoy the gospel in the fullest way now. So one, we come here this morning with gratitude in our hearts that what David experienced with limitation, we have in its fullness because of this right here, what this table is leading us into. But also there's healing. There's healing in our hearts for offense, And so, Lord, I just pray that as we come to partake of your body and your blood, I pray that by the Spirit that you would, you would really weaponize these meal, this meal. And you would, you would make it something that just confronts and heals. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would, you would, you would lead us into a unity in where, in where we are going. I pray for a Psalm 133 blessing on this house. I pray, Lord, that we would give you what you've always desired in this body. I pray, Lord, that we would be a house of David's. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your patience. That is all summed up right here. And so this bread, take this bread. Lord, I pray that as we partake of this bread, we would remember your wounds. We would remember your body that was broken, that brings wholeness and healing to us. 
And I pray, God, that as we partake together, I pray you would bring healing wholeness, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. In Jesus' name, let's partake together the bread. That tasted like cardboard. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Let's take the cup. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your blood that was poured out. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you have invited us all to join in into what you're doing here. And it's by your blood that we have access. We have access. You have sprinkled your blood on the mercy seat that we can enter in. So, Lord, we make it our number one priority to come before your presence and to worship you and to enjoy you and to celebrate what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as we partake of this cup, that just that, that, that a breaking would happen over all of our lives, that there would be a new freedom, a new joy that we step into, new expressions of worship, new responses to, to what you have done and what you have paid for, Lord. I pray you would call out prophetic giftings in the arts and, and drawings and paintings and flag dancing, Lord, that, God, that we would become a celebratory body. Lord, we would celebrate night and day that you are with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's partake of his blood together. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. If there's anyone who needs prayer specifically, you can always come up. Worship team is going to worship a little bit longer, so you can come up and, and pray. But if not, we'll see you this week in some way. Revelation study. Beholding night Friday night. And we'll see you guys next Friday for Love Day, all right? God bless you guys.